0: And it's a high
1: Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. It is Thursday, January 26th. That's Armladen. I'm I'm Peter Apple. We have a great show ahead of you. We're talking Scott Rowland, of course, getting into the Hall of Fame. Some snubs that we might think deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. There's a couple of small moves. Aldoberto Mondesi is heading over to the Boston Red Sox. Michael A. Taylor is heading over to the Twins. But we have to talk about some less than desirable teams. You know, that's the nicest way to put them non contenders. But some of the teams that we listed out could end up being contenders. But if you heard our last episode where we did biggest strengths, biggest weaknesses, we kind of did the where does Vegas project them from a win total threshold? Are they over 80? Are they under 80? And these just happen to be the teams projected by the Vegas sports books that should win under 80 games. But there's a lot of strengths. For these teams, but first, Arm Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's a good day for us, Scott Rowland truthers. Uh, it's a bad day for the people who think it might be an abomination, as I've seen on some uh, comment sections. And you know how comment sections yeah, are, I would say the very, correct.
2: the very notably reasonable and level-headed TikTok comment sections think that it's an abomination or whatever. Okay. Well, first of all, I, I, I think. Well, first of all, congratulations, Scott Rowland. Super. I mean, there's no higher honor in, in, in sports to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think the Baseball Hall of Fame is the hardest to get into, especially considering the fact that you have a bunch of hacks who make it feeder and vote for just a rod or nobody or whatever else. And that could be a whole episode. I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole, but Scott Roland gets in despite a bunch of, you know, I would say throwaway ballots, which really makes it even harder for these guys to get in, especially the non-PED guys. I feel like just kind of get lumped into this whole sideshow, but Roland had a phenomenal career. Does anything jump off the page? No, but Sometimes I think we have to start to get away from like the you need 500 home runs. You need 3000 hits. If you do a little bit of everything, you're just a really damn good baseball player. And he did a lot of a lot of things, didn't hit any of the major thresholds. But if you start to kind of cue up the stats of things that he did through certain thresholds that across the board that very few others did, he's in some elite company. and, And I even dug up, you know, defensive war. And and if you, you accumulate it, basically any guys with above 20 wins in defensive war and also putting up at least 2000 hits and 300 home runs. I mean, it's a group of like Cal Ripken, Adrian Beltre, Gary, Gary Carter, Pudge Rodriguez. Like it, it's a very short list of Hall of Famers. The combination of hitting and, and defense that he put together, it, it makes him one of the best to ever do it. Is he jumping off the pages? No, but he's a Hall of Famer in my book.
1: He's a top 10 third baseman of all time. And yeah. it's reflected in the war numbers. This guy put up a 70.1 baseball reference war. And Brian Kenny actually laid it out uh, really well. I think it was on MLB Network, where he came up with a team of all the guys who finished ninth in war all time at their position. And it's guys mm-hmm. like, you know, Willie McCovey. Stargell, like a lot of Hall of Famers, and I think the only one who was in a Hall of Famer is Joe Mauer, who's going to be on the ballot, and and he'll be a Hall, Hall of Famer, and he'll probably be a Hall. Of I Famer. think so. And we don't we don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but there's something about this year specifically, and it's kind of been weighing on me uh, for the Hall of Fame voting that I just kind of want to air out, and I don't really want to take it away from Scott Rowland because I think we covered it. He is one of the best. Defensive players in Major League Baseball, he played across 17 seasons, perfectly clean, great career, renowned by many as a great clubhouse guy like deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. But and this is kind of what set me off arm. This is from Rob Parker. I don't know if you know Rob. Oh, I saw Rob Parker's one. Yeah, yeah. um, And I like Rob Parker a lot. And this is why I was kind of discouraged by this. So this is his quote that he put out on Twitter. My Hall of Fame vote is my most prized possession on this earth. I take the responsibility very seriously. It's an honor and a privilege. But sadly, Hall of Fame voters are overcompensating for the steroid era and elevating guys who were very good to replace the tainted greats. Hashtag shame. And you look at his ballot and all he marked down was Gary Sheffield. Yeah. And so based on that, he should vote for guys like Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. And he came out and there's, you know, obviously some gray area, whether some guys took steroids, some guys didn't. Um, But like, who is the arbiter of that? Yeah. And the problem with the steroid era, and I'm not a guy, and I've said this before, I'm not a person who. Thinks One way or the other, whether these steroid guys should get in. I understand understand. the argument for the steroid guys, guys, and I can side with that. But at the same time, if you're a person who says steroids should not be in the Hall of Fame, I understand. I get you. And this time period of when all of these guys have coming in has kind of ruined Hall of Fame voting for me. Because for for me, it used to be something I was so excited about. I even remember last year, like I was still really excited. But I think the draining of it, especially this year, like the conversations, they've just gotten so dull and they've gotten so subjective. Like there are over 500 writers who who put in ballots. There's 500 writers in the Baseball Association. And I almost feel there should be 10 and we should know the rules. And if you fit the rules, you get in. And like Rob Parker is the I guess they rank them all. And he's number 75 in this list of 500. And like he's coming out with that. And he and said, I he love said, Rob Parker. He said,
2: Gary Sheffield's uh, is that that's the only guy he voted for, right? It was just chef. Only guy he voted so for. He said the 500 homers was like a magic number for him. And that's what it was. But, like, what about Manny Ramirez and all the numbers he A-Rod? put together? I know, and I know those guys are like repeat offenders and wh- whatever you want to call it with the steroids. But here, here's the stat, by the way, just for my own sanity. I want to make sure that I convey it properly on Roland. And then I want to go back to that point. I've put this out in last year's article where I was trying to make the case for Scott Roland's Hall of Fame candidacy. There were 95 players in baseball history who had 2000 hits and 300 home runs. But of those 95 players, only six had accumulated a defensive war above 20. And it was those aforementioned names that I gave you. They're all Hall of Famers. So, you know, it, it's it's really that kind of puts him in that bucket for me. And sure, it, we are maybe propping up the guys who don't have any implications to steroids. But guess what? Playing through an era that was littered with steroids and tainted and being able to still be one of the best players at your position during that time, I think should count for something, right? I think they should get a little bit of a bump for playing the game the right way during a time where a lot of players weren't. And they were playing against guys who had an advantage. Roger Clemens, a lot of these other pitchers that were, you know, taking PEDs had an advantage. Uh, The the one thing I want to say about about what you were saying with the the voting and, and everything like that, my initial reaction when I saw it's Hall of Fame voting season. I quote tweeted it and was like, God damn it. Like this sucks. I'm not, I was dreading it. I was dreading it because every ballot, I I try to keep it out of sight, out of mind, because the ballots just ruin my day. Right. It's like something that we all hope to be able to do one day. And, it just seemed like it was sideshow. It was like theater for a lot of these writers. And a lot of the people that vote on it now don't even really follow the game that closely and and don't really, you know, take that much pride in, in their vote. At least that's the sense I get. And um, yeah, when you're getting to the gray area of voting for one PED guy and not the other. That's where I'm like, OK, what is this process? It's got to be it's got to be all of them, in my opinion, or none. I don't really get how you can you know, say A-Rod, but not Manny or Sheffield, but not one of the other guys. I'll maybe give you the like, oh, they had multiple PED suspensions versus one. Maybe I can understand that. But to me, it's kind of zero. It's it's all or nothing through that perspective. But again, just just to get back to Scott Rowland, I think he's a Hall of Famer regardless. When you can play defense the way he did and still accumulate two thousand hits and three hundred home runs, and and again, Jeff Conine on outside the box, you talked about the the clubhouse guy, all those things. Jeff said Hall of Fame person, Hall of Fame player, and, and I think that does matter. It really does. So you know, I'm I'm a big
1: fan of Rowlands. I'm a big fan of third baseman, and he's one of the best to ever do it. Another quote from our guy, Rob Parker, the Hall of Fame is broken when a player with 10% of the vote his first year gets 76% in his sixth year on the ballot. That means 56% didn't think enough of his career from the start. His stats haven't changed in five years. The voting has turned to applesauce. Uh, I just have so many problems with that quote um, from the top to the bottom in the sense of just because he didn't vote for a guy this year doesn't mean that he can't be a hall of famer on other ballots with other players. The, there is not one version of a hall of famer. And it, he's basically saying, if you're not a first ballot hall of famer, you shouldn't get in. And
2: there, there's a reason why you have to get 10% to stay on the ballot. Was he close to not staying on the ballot? Sure. But he may, he had enough votes to stay on the ballot. If he exceeds the, the marker that you have, that you set to not have guys stay on the ballot that don't have a shot to get in. They put it at 10% for a reason. That's what you need to remain on the ballot. Meaning that that was the threshold that they deemed worthy to still have a shot to make it down the line. So it's almost undermining the exact rules that they created. I think it's become just so uh, it's just so up for interpretation and, and to a point of which, I don't think anybody even knows what they're saying anymore. Even sometimes I don't even know what I'm saying when it comes to this shit. Like it's just drives me nuts.
1: Think about this for a second. Do you think because, you know, we started this company um, on basically on April 1st of 2021 and, you know, grinding through this, trying to post as much content. but. I find myself now with our jobs on social media more now than ever. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people can understand that, too, as social media has really taken over a lot of lives. And that's that's even accelerated over the past couple of years, especially now in 2023, with everyone making their ballots public and everyone feeling like their opinion is so important that they have to post a monologue about it or come out with video. Like, do you think? that has made it worse for us like almost the anonymous nature of it where we just found yeah. out we didn't almost made it better and then we wanted to see these guys ballots and then now it's gone so much and everyone has to post everything that now it's almost so dry and stupid that it's almost like we asked for this and what we got in return made it worse yeah it's almost like
2: sometimes you like it's like when you don't want to meet your your heroes because sometimes they're not what you think they are right exactly maybe there were trash ballots through the years but we live in a world now where we can track these and ryan Thibodeau does an unbelievable job on on twitter of, of tracking the ballots and i think he did it through you know just wanting to generate some excitement through the years around hall of fame voting but what it's done is really amplify how flawed the system is and and how ridiculous some of these ballots are. And as a result, you know, it, it airs out more frustration. I think it's gotten worse because of the PED guys. And I understand like, we all don't totally know how to tackle that Situation it's pretty weird it's pretty Difficult there's a lot of confusion around it But I think having it all Aired out like you said where we're getting Most of these ballots put out and now You know I think a lot of writers feel like They they want to stand behind their ballots Instead of submitting it anonymously which I support But now it becomes I do like this 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 Opportunity to grandstand yeah. and now I feel like People almost are using their ballots to Generate a to- a conversation And generate controversy and things like that Because some of these ballots are legitimate legitimately like to me, they're like skip Bayless ballots. It's like, you know, like you don't actually believe what you're saying right now. Like you don't actually believe that that is the proper ballot. Like you think everybody else should have that ballot too? no way. It's just to shake it up. And that's not how it should be. And it's not where, where we should be. All I'll say is I'm glad somebody got elected. Fred McGriff should have been elected a long time ago. I'm pumped about the veterans committee. The veterans committee is a very, very, very good thing to have here. So now you have Two really good players in here and McGriff, who should have always been in and Rowan, who was, should have always been in. Nothing's more embarrassing than having nobody in the hall. Um, so at least they've got Fred guys McGriff just standing by himself. Yeah, like like at, just at bizarre, podium. just bizarre. So I will say this. Another thing that these voters need to figure out before we move on to the next topic is what the deal is with Coors Field, because Todd Helton was so damn close. And I think Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer, but too. I feel like we're almost weighing Coors Field more than PEDs in some ways. Like I, he can't pick where he played and he dominated better than anybody has ever dominated in that stadium. And he still was good away from it too. Uh that guy forwarded with 400 one year. He, he's one of the better hitters we've seen. I, I that's another one where it's like voters can't figure out where they stand on Coors Field. Like at the end of the day he can only hit where he is placed to hit. And he hit as well as anyone there. So that's another one where I hope we see Helton in there. And I'm sure we'll get a whole stink of the PEDs being a reason why we forced Helton in there, too. But I think Helton deserves it as well. And that's another weird topic that people can't seem to figure out is how much to dock a guy for playing at Coors Field when
1: that that, that was where he was drafted to. And that's where he was playing his career. Like, sorry. I don't need to add anything else to the Todd Helton conversation you you said it beautifully I totally agree with you he should be a hall of famer Might I just add Billy Wagner should be a Hall of Famer. One of the best relievers of all time from the left side might be the best lefty reliever of all time. There is no reason why Billy Wagner should not be in the Hall of Fame. There is also no reason why Andrew Jones should not be in the Hall of Fame. If I told you that a center fielder who was the best defender at his position at the time and still will go down as one of the best defensive center fielders of all time, maybe the best at his peak, who also hit 400 home runs.
2: That yeah, of fell homer. off
1: or whatever. So that's a hall of famer. Like yeah. there are just things where it doesn't make sense to me. And that quote from Parker, where guys like originally might not have voted, but now are voting. And then that, for some reason, doesn't make them a hall of famer. That's the process that you go through. Yeah, And maybe and he's the most worthy guy long, on the ballot maybe parker worded it wrong maybe uh, i'm reading it wrong i'd love to ex- talk to him because i do respect his opinion i like him a lot and like that's where i'm coming from where i feel like social media has ruined it for me because i like rob parker a lot saw those two quotes saw his ballot and then now i'm like dude like i <laughs> was up? your supporter like what's going on here yeah. i didn't i didn't agree with him i don't agree with the voting those guys should be in it and like you could obviously make the argument for a rod and man, yeah, and all the it. PED
2: guys and yeah, and that's then that's why, a whole other can of worms. But I have
1: to be honest, I am excited when all of the PED guys are gone. Can't wait, and we just get to vote on guys without all the shit. Exactly. That's
2: the thing is there's 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 a light at the end of the tunnel. Like sure, you're gonna get Tatis on the ballot and a guy here or there, whatever it is. Uh, when that when we cross that bridge, but you know, I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel where all of the best players on the ballot are not going to be implicated to to performance enhancing drugs. So that that is the exciting part. Like I'm looking forward to that next wave, which I don't think we're far away from, like you said. And I think that's going to restore some some basic sense and, and continuity um, and steadiness to this whole voting process. I think we're a, a few more you know, cycles away from from getting there. So I am looking forward to that because it, it just has created this whole
1: confusion around the the entire idea of what we're doing here. Congratulations, Scott Rowland. You deserve it. One million trillion percent. Congrats to one of the best third basemen of all time. Now, biggest strengths of all the non-contenders. Oh, yeah. Fair way to explain it. I have the American League. Arm has the national league quick reminder. We are like, for example, the twins are on this list. The Rangers are on this list. There's some guys that you have in the national league. We don't think that they are completely non contenders later in this off season. We're going to do previews. We're going to do predictions and you're going to see what we truly think about these teams. But right now, The exercise that we did when we did biggest strengths and biggest weaknesses of contenders were based on Vegas's win totals of 80 and a half or higher. These are just all the teams that are 80 and below. So don't come after us thinking, oh, well, this team is a contender for this isn't this. We might agree with you. We also might not. That's the joy of doing this and and, and talking baseball all the time. So I'll start in the American League. And um, so what we'll do, um, I'll go one team arm will go the next team and then we'll just go back and forth. And
2: and I want to I want to clarify again, too. I, I will do my best to not forget a team. And if I forget your team, it is not because I have anything against them. So I don't think I'm going to forget a team this time. I will be on it. I got my notes in front of me, but um, I already addressed it with Jack. I have no no ill will against the very, very good fighting Alex Anthopolis over there in Atlanta. So uh, let's
1: let's get into it just baseball show listeners he doesn't like the Braves at all but we'll move on. Uh the Baltimore Orioles. Um I'm going with their infield. Um I think it's kind of the clear strength of this team. Yeah. Uh you look at depending on what they're going to do with Gunnar Hennigan. Yeah, which is crazy. We still don't really know. <laughs> yeah, we still don't really know. Um but he is going to be one of the better infielders in baseball. I think this year, I think he's going to be the front runner for AL rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. And he's got the hair and he's got the power. He's got everything that you'd want um, from a shortstop or a third baseman. How about the catcher? Adley Rutschman uh, maybe would have won the rookie of the year. If J-Rod didn't look like Ronda Cooney Jr. Or if Ronald Cooney Jr. Was six, three. Um, so you have him at catcher. Um, At first base, Ryan Mountcastle, you know, if they didn't move left field back, what felt like 50 feet, I think he could be a guy with 40 home runs. But Ryan Mountcastle seems like he's been in the league now for a while, but he's only going to be 26 years old. Like he's a really good guy. Ramon Arias won the gold glove last year at third base. They also have Adam Frazier there at second base. Like this is a good infield. But what puts it a step above is that they have so much depth, right? They got Jorge Mateo say- who was a really good shortstop for them last year. Like they have guys who they can now put at these different positions and they have plenty of prospects who are going to come up too. I think the easy strength here for the Orioles is this infield.
2: Yeah, I would say Jorge Mateo is probably one of my favorite for a six man of the year award if they don't start him at shortstop because I, th- this guy had a gr- great second half look. Is he going to hit with the best of them? Probably not, but he's going to steal 30 bags and he's going to play elite defense at short. So if they want to go with Gunner at third and, and then put Mateo at short, great. You got a gold glove caliber shortstop. But Arias, like you mentioned, gold glover at third. Gunner is a good shortstop. I ultimately could see them mixing and matching this in a way where you end up getting Frazier out of the lineup. I think he's the weakest link. We'll see how they do it. We'll see how they figure it out. Obviously they, they signed Frazier and promised him every like close to every day at bat. So I don't know what their plan is. I don't know why they did that. But Jordan Westberg coming up is is a really, really good offensive prospect. Connor Norby, really, really good offensive prospect. Both those guys raked in triple A last year. So, I mean, they could have three guys go down. And I still think their infield is is their strength, Uh, though. The outfield is is not bad either. Obviously, the pitching far, far away from being good. But I mean,
1: this is a really good infield. I think of all of the weaker teams, quote unquote, this is a really good strength. Oh, it's a really good strength. What about a trade Mateo and a prospect for Trevor Rogers on the Marlins? No shot. Well, it depends on the prospect. Oh, we already did this. I mean, it was no shot for the bubble Lopez, Luis Arise trade. Joe Mack was not happening. Joe Mack was not happening. I understand that. But Mateo and a good prospect.
2: Yeah, I don't think the Marlins can trade pitchers anymore. I don't think the Marlins can trade pitchers anymore. They
1: just got (laughs) smeltzer.
2: yeah. Yeah, no, but I don't know why they don't package him with with a prospect and try to go get an arm like they have so many ways to go get an arm and they won't. But that's whatever they're doing over there. I I, I trust I trust the process over there in
1: terms of of their front office. But that's about it. I agree. I trust the process. Just wish they would spend money or maybe go get a starting pitcher. Uh, National League East,
2: your first team. Yeah, so starting in the National League East, we'll we'll talk Marlins then. And it's, it's obviously got to be the rotation, right? I mean, this Marlins rotation is not only their strength. I think it could be one of the better rotations in baseball if everything's clicking. Yes, you subtract Pablo Lopez. But you add Johnny Cueto, who's a good depth piece, on top of the reigning Cy Young winner in Sandy Alcantara. You got Jesus Lizardo, who was dominant in in his kind of return from his injury looked really, really good down the stretch. He could be a legitimate number two or three starter. Edward Cabrera, we know how good Edward can be and how nasty Edward could be. If he's healthy, that's another guy that could really flash frontline ability. Then you have Trevor Rogers, who was the rookie of the year runner up, took a big step back last year, but still had some good underlying numbers. I think we'll take a step back forward this year. Maybe not all the way to what he was his rookie year, but if he's somewhere in between. That's a really good arm for you. And then they've got Yuri Perez, a top three pitching prospect in baseball who just got invited to big league camp and could be up pretty early. And they have Braxton Garrett, a left-hander who looked really good last year in about 10 or 12 starts and I think could be a really, really solid depth piece for them as well. So they've got top end talent and they've got depth. I, I really like what they've built there on the pitching side, even with the subtraction of Pablo
1: Lopez. No, I totally agree. I almost think there's no question no. um about the starting rotation. My only worry is with the Marlins. We were talking about this in the just baseball office uh about two hours ago. Uh after these pitchers, the bullpen that comes in after mm. them is is weak. But I mean, the, this is a group of guys, especially Sandy, who can give you seven, eight, nine strong. Um and even you know guys like Edward and guys like Jesus Sazardo, like they flash ace stuff. Yeah, like Trevor Rogers, even at his peak, I never saw ace. But I gotta say, I see ace when I see Edward Cabrera and Jesus Sazardo when they are on. Like yeah. they are guys who turn in six inning, two hit, thirteen K type performances, yeah. and you don't just get that from guys like yeah. often. And they can do it multiple times. It's just about staying on the field for this unit.
2: I mean, dude, Lizardo literally ended the season against the Braves with six innings, four hits, no runs, 12 strikeouts, one walk. And he struck out 11, two outings before that. So, I mean, this guy, when he is on and he is healthy, He's got frontline stuff, and and he, he was one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. So big X factor for them is can Edward and can Lizardo stay healthy? But the good news is at least they've got some depth with Braxton Garrett and, and Yuri and Jake Eater and other guys Cueto. as well. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a really solid rotation. I think Cueto was a nice little depth pickup as well. Smelzer.
1: Smelter. <laughs> Smelter is going to see some innings this year. He's going to see some innings. That'll be fun. Uh, the Boston Red Sox certainly don't like their team on this list, but they're projected 76 and a half wins. they make this list. Uh, they have a pretty good infield. Um, I would say that's their biggest strength. Uh, I think there's obviously some questions up the middle. Um, with Aldoberto Monessi with Kike Hernandez now moving from center field to shortstop at least that seems like their plan but on the corners you have Rafael Devers and you have Tristan Casas and Reese McGuire when he came over to the Red Sox actually played pretty well now is he more likely a backup on a good team yeah but he's still a fine catcher especially at a position that's really weak we could see him being in the middle of the pack of those type of guys so up the middle there's some questions there um there's no question with modesty's talent when he's on the field this guy is i mean like he could be a guy who hits 20 home runs and steals 40 bases if he stays healthy, but he just hasn't proved that. Yeah. I um, mean, then Kike Hernandez is a great player, but how will he fare at shortstop? But it doesn't get much better than Devers. And then you have Tristan Casas who is as good of a slugger in minor league baseball. We saw last year, and we saw him in a, a brief stint in the majors didn't really look overmatched. I'm really excited for what he's going to do this year, but let's, so we know that the infield is, is the strength for the Red Sox. I want to ask you about your thoughts on the trade for Alberto Mondesi because the Royals didn't really have a spot for him with the, of course, emergence of Bobby Wood Jr. there at shortstop. Yeah, now he's probably going to move over to second base. The Red Sox didn't really have to give up much, and they get a lot of upside in Mondesi. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts on the trade?
2: No, I, I like the move for them, and and also like you know they're they're just trying to buy some time until Story gets back. And I know Mondesi might not be ready at the start of this season, but I agree, first of all, that the infield is a strength because. They've just got a lot of different options, right? I mean, you've got the the two corner guys, Endeavors and Casas, like you said. And while they don't have the the best middle infield right now, I think Kike Hernandez is solid. And then you know they've got a lot of guys that you could plug in and can hold it down, like Christian Arroyo is no slouch off the bench. Um, again, if Mondesi's healthy, like that's a dynamic player. They're going to get story at some point this season. I think Justin Turner will play some first base uh, when Casas has a day off, or Casas goes to the DH role, or whatever it may be, or if there's a tough lefty and they don't want Casas to play, but. They give up Josh Taylor from Mondesi. You know that's that's not an arm. I think they're really going to miss that much. I like the Royals stockpiling arms. They went and got two arms for Michael A. Taylor, who we're going to talk about as well. Two relievers that I think could be interesting. Uh, but for for the Red Sox, I think they needed this roll of the dice because if Mondesi is somehow, you know, that three 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 and a half win player, and, and I think it's more is if can he somehow play a hundred games. If he somehow plays hundred games this year. That's 100% worth it for them, right? Like they got him a, for pretty much nothing. They desperately needed somebody like him. I think it's a great roll of the dice. And and if he can be anything close to available this year, that he's going to be one of their better and more dynamic infielders aside from, you know, at least middle infielders, I would say, until story comes back.
1: Yeah, with all due respect to Josh Taylor, like he's a guy who you could replace in the bullpen and bring up someone from the minor leagues. And he's not really somebody you can you're going to miss. And even if Monacy doesn't even pan out, let's say he plays 50 to 70 games. I still think it's worth it. Yeah. And then if he plays 100, it's way more than worth it. I'm telling you, like Monacy as a talent is a very good player. He's I. I you know, maybe this is mean calling him like the Walmart version of Byron Buxton in the way that they both get injured. They both have crazy amounts of talent. Monesty doesn't have the talent that Buxton does, but you see similarities there where when they are on the field, the talent, Pops like Mondesi's got it. It's just about staying on the field, but there is no debate about the Devers Casas combo, and that's like what makes this infield so good is that they're pushing Justin Turner, a career third baseman, a career great third baseman, to the DH role. That's why he doesn't even make this infield because they have such solid corners.
2: Yep. And and I mean Monsey did 133 stolen bases in 358 games. He stole
1: 43 in 102 games in 2019. He stole 24 in 59 games in 2020. Yeah, like, this- I'm sure when I said 20 home runs, 40 stolen bases, that made people think, "Whoa, no way. He could If he stays healthy and has a great year, that's the talent that we're looking at."
2: Yeah. I mean, he had 14 home runs in 75 games in 2018, so I, he could easily be even even on the low end, 15 home runs, 45 bags, like, even if he only plays 110 games. So I mean, he's a great talent, and you get him for nothing. I, I like the pickup and definitely helps solidify this strength and, and fill in a hole for the Red Sox. It's a relative strength, but you weren't going to mention the rotation or the outfield where if they're moving Kike in now, they got to figure out some outfield stuff, too, because I, I don't trust Jaron Duran. I don't trust Adam Duvall playing every single day out there. I thought it was better for him to move out of center so that they've got some stuff to figure out in the
1: outfield. Yeah, like I like Yoshida, I like Verdugo, but I like the infield a little bit more yeah. More um, power. Washington Nationals. Yeah, this was a hard one. Um,
2: you know, when a team is just kind of all around bad. It's it's hard. Uh, I was deciding between the infield and the rotation. The rotation could be sneaky. Good. Ultimately, I went with the infield, but Josiah Gray was once a very, very highly regarded prospect. He still t- just turned 25 long ball burned him last year, but he still struck out a good amount of guys still has good stuff. Cade Cavalli, again, a guy that's a top one under prospect, really talented, could be good. Mackenzie Gore. We know his story, too. And then Trevor Williams is not a slouch. And Patrick Corbin is, is you know, you um, know. The the sacrificial lamb as Jack likes to call it, but you know, that's not the worst rotation in the world, but ultimately I I think it's the infield that that's going to be the most intriguing for me because I think there's too many question marks in that rotation when you have an infield that is, you know, athletic and has some, like some guys could make a big leap this year, right? At shortstop, you got T.J. Abrams, who has all-star potential. At catcher, you've got Kieber Ruiz, all-star potential. At third base, I think one of the more low-key acquisitions of this offseason was, was the Nationals getting Heimer Kendallario. That's a guy that can hit, man, maybe getting out of Detroit. He could be a 25-home-run guy and, and be more productive. And then another bounce-back candidate in the form of Dom Smith. Look, I, I'm not as high on Dom Smith. I don't know how good he's going to be, but this is a guy that's hit at the big league level before. And then Luis Garcia... 22 years old, man, like this guy had decent numbers last year. as a 21-year-old that was kind of rushed to the big leagues. He could be an above-average big leaguer. Look, the bar is kind of low, but what was I going to pick? Their outfield of Victor Robles, Corey Dickerson, and Lane Thomas. I already told you why I wasn't picking the the, the rotation. And the bullpen, Like, not going to happen. Infield has the most pop potential, and that's
1: enough for me. Luis Garcia is a guy I think a lot of Nationals fans are excited about. I mean, he's really, really young. CJ Abrams, of course, he came over in the Juan Soto deal and... Nationals fans should be really excited for his future. I know he's a guy that you really, really love too. And I think everyone once they see him on the field, they see the speed, they see the overall athleticism, they see the bat to ball. Like There is a lot to dream on with a guy like CJ Abrams. But Luis Garcia, I don't think a lot of Nationals fans are expecting him to come up and play pretty damn well. And I'm excited to see what we get from him because he can also play some shortstop too, but should be located in the second base position next year. I'm excited for what we're seeing. So like I think we said it um, when we described each team in three words or whatever, we kind of did that. We kind of summarized the teams, like just go out there and have fun. Like this could be a fun team, mm-hmm. especially with a guy like Joey Meneses maybe coming into the fold at a first base DH position too. Like they have some fun guys that I'm excited to watch. Like this isn't going to be a nationals team where the a nationals game comes on. I'm like, ugh. like no, the A's are a lot different. It's, it, it's like, they have some fun guys that I'm excited to watch. And And again, on the pitching side,
2: like, I'm. I'll tune into Mackenzie Gore. I'll tune into Kate Cavalli. To, to Cavalli. Uh, and, and also Thad Ward might might start for them a little bit too. He's p- pretty nasty with the slider. He's fun to watch. So the rotate If Thad Ward was in the rotation, I don't know what they're going to do with him yet. I think they're going to start him as a reliever and build him up. If Thad Ward was in the rotation, I might lean rotation. But again, it's it's that pop potential that CJ and and Keybert specifically have that is enough for me to 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 go with the infield. That's fair.
1: Minnesota Twins, their infield is freaking stacked. <laughs> it's and nasty. I know that, um, again, similar to the Red Sox, similar to the Orioles, they don't want to be located on this episode. But the reality of the fact is they're projected for 78 and a half wins they make this list. Um, it's kind of different from the National League where the National League, it seems like, all right, these are kind of the bottom teams where the American League, like there are some good teams that are kind of middle of the road and could make that leap. And I do believe the twins could. Um, Cray at shortstop, one of the best shortstop is Major League Baseball. You gave him the big deal and we don't have to go over the injury stuff because we've gone through it in like 50 different episodes. That's what the offseason is about. We've talked about it. You could probably look at any of our last episodes and find more information about that. But Carlos screa when healthy assume he's going to be is one of the best shortstops in major league baseball Jorge Polanco moving over from short where he just didn't really make it at the position wasn't that good defensively at shortstop now moves over to second base is a real power threat I mean this guy at his peak can hit 30 home runs like this guy is a very good player then you got Jose Miranda at third base who came up and showed his potential of a guy who has hit in every single level of the minor leagues and there's no reason why we shouldn't expect the guy to have a 450, 470 type slugging type of year with 25 to 30 bumps like he rakes and he is going to be 25 years old he's still 24 years old right now and Alex Kirloff I kind of want to lay the table for you because you've been an Alex Kirloff guy now for a while I'm not giving up i should uh, not you shouldn't because you see the talent. It's just about staying healthy. Mm-hmm. And then you put in a guy like Christian Vasquez at catcher, who is what I think to be a top 15 catcher, very solid. And you have Nick Gordon at DH, who I'm not including in the infield, but can play up the middle for mm-hmm. them. And they have a guy like Kyle former backing them up. We've talked about the twins at length, but looking strictly at this infield, it's freaking loaded. Yeah. I mean, even the catching tandem, like Jeffers is a backup is a really
2: good, good backup. I I think they upgraded their catching tandem. I think, you know, of course you subtract Arias, but they didn't really, like, I don't think they're going to feel it that much. Like it's such a good infield and they're going to get Royce Lewis back. And I don't think Royce is going to play the outfield, man. I, I really think he's going to predominantly play the infield, how he gets those ABs. I don't totally know. Maybe if, you know, Kirilov is, hurt or struggling. They move Miranda to first and then Royce plays a little bit more third. He was getting some action there, you know, at some points last season, they, they can mix and match, but Roy's coming back in mid season two makes this infield even more ridiculous. I think Miranda is going to rake, like you said. And then yeah, Carlos Correa is one of the best shortstops in the game. This is a really good infield. It's funny to put them in this conversation of not contenders because I'm kind of drinking the Kool-Aid of the Minnesota twins, like especially with the Pablo Lopez addition they were never going to have an elite rotation but at least have a rotation of a bunch of solid arms and i think they're pretty much knocking on the door of that at this point a bunch of you know arms that you trust to to a degree to, to give you quality starts more than they don't um the bullpen's a question but they've somewhat addressed it a little bit and then the depth that they have overall is really good but yeah th- this this infield has a chance to be really powerful too like that's the exciting part like they could have across the infield guys hitting 20
1: 25 home runs. And and that's a really, really fun team. It's funny. The White Sox made our contenders list and the twins make our non contenders yeah, list. Yeah, which it, it just and shows I'm you that we're like, excited the, about the
2: twins, way more excited about the twins. That just shows you that we're literally basing it on win loss totals on Vegas projections. This isn't our projections. And we probably deem the twins more contenders than the White Sox. If I, at least from my perspective, I won't speak for you, but that's that's where I'm at. I want to hear Jack's perspective. All right, next, uh, next team. So now do you want me to go to central or the West? Central, central. Central, Since you went to the central, I'll go with the Pirates. And with the Pirates, there was a few ways I could go, but I don't know what they're going to do with one of my favorite pitching prospects in their system. Luis Ortiz, Quinn Priest are probably not going to be up just yet. So while I think the pitching could be exciting soon, it's got to be the infield for me because there is some really fun star power on the left side, especially if I'm talking about Cabrian Hayes as one of my favorite breakout guys next year. Then I got to talk about this infield because if Cabrian breaks out and O'Neill Cruz even reaches 60% of the, his potential, that is a really freaking good left side of the infield. Then you get to the right side. I know like Roster Resource has Rodolfo Castro, who's no slouch. He's a good bench bat, but I think G1 Bay. Should be their starting second baseman i think he will be their starting second baseman he is a very very solid prospect to as plus speed i mean he swipes bags with the best of them sneaky power i think he can hit you 10 to 15 home runs he's a great defender and he doesn't strike out i think he could actually be an above average player in his rookie season at the second base position and then go get g-man Choi, who you now he's all right i think if you platoon him with connor joe who when he's on, he, he starts raking pretty well. You platoon them. That's not bad at all. And then they get Austin hedges at the catching position, which doesn't get me the most excited, but you know, he's going to frame really well and call great games. But this infield's not great, but maybe Carlos Santana plays a little bit at first as well. If G man doesn't, doesn't do well. And you know, Santana is going to walk his way to a one Oh three WRC plus. So this infield is solid. It's much improved. This Pirates team is sneaky. Decent. Uh, but I, I like what they've got going on here. And, and that left side
1: could be elite if both of those guys reach their potential next year. So I am curious. I've heard, you know, you and Jack also talk about um, on that uh, most impactful rookies list. And I hear you guys talking about G1 Bay, and it's hard not to get excited about a guy like that with the ability to play multiple positions and the ability to just put the bat on ball consistently. But I almost feel because of the love for G one Bay we we are kind of underrating Rodolfo Castro. Yeah. Like I think Rodolfo Castro is like a pretty decent second baseman because with my betting last year, I found myself, especially at the end of the year, because I looked back and I looked at a lot of the teams who I bet on the most versus bet on the least. And it's funny, the pirates for most of the season, I barely had bets in there, but, Weirdly, towards the end of the year, I was on a lot of JD, JT Brewbaker starts. I was on a lot of Mitch Keller starts. Luis Ortiz was a guy that I was tailing, whether it be an under or an over. So I caught the tail end of the pirate season. I felt like I was watching three to four games a week. Like, that's how much Pirates baseball I was watching. And Rodolfo Castro kept coming up in the lineup. And it may be just happenstance. and maybe just the games I was turning on but Rodolfo Castro would always come through. Like <laughs> he is a, he has some power. He had a good so second he half Four twenty seven slugging percentage last year. And that's with a bad kind of start to the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's got a lot of talent. He's got this moxie about him. He's got a, You know, he's got the swag. He's, he's got the he's phone in his back pocket. To, yeah. He's a fun guy to watch play baseball. Like I think while G1 Bay, I agree with you guys should be the starting second baseman. This is a very fun player. Kind of like, mm-hmm. The, he's not the same as Luis Garcia on the Nationals, but just like a guy that I'm keeping my eye on, like I think he's got potential.
2: He's kind of like Hifo I think. Like pe- people don't like people don't give Renhefo even his respect. Well, he's Hifo with the Angels had a good year and has some power, but really good in the second half was Rodolfo Castro, one nineteen WRC plus did slug a little bit, seven eighty eight OPS can play that all makes over. Sense. But he hit yeah, that's when just, you that's when you watched, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but he hit lefties really well, and it's a small sample, but. I could see a platoon because G1 Bay is not great against lefties. He's a left-handed hitter. 148 WRC plus against lefties was Rodolfo Castro. And then G1 Bay hits righties better. You could have a platoon of two guys that can play all over the infield. That only makes it better for me. But again, we're talking about one of these guys is going to be on the bench and that's a really good bench player. So this infield is definitely pretty, pretty solid. All things considered.
1: It is. We do have this common theme. And I think I mentioned it earlier in the episode that infields are kind of taken over. On these teams because, you know, a lot of these teams are rebuilding and a lot of their best prospects are shortstops and we're coming. We're seeing them come up, whether they be third base, second base. And that's the same for the Kansas City Royals. Um, Their infield is their strength because you have Bobby. who. Who is 22 years old, and in a perceived down year, he was 25-25. This guy is – or was he 20-30? He was something in that range. This guy steals bases, hits home runs, and will one day – and maybe it's next season, maybe it's the season after – be one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball, and we can't shower praise over Vinnie Pascantino enough. You look at this guy's peripherals and he could hit 30 home runs while, you know, having an OBP in the 360 to 370 range. That's how good he could be. Yeah. Um And then at third base, you guy, you have Hunter Dozier, who, you know, I mean, he's not flashy, but he's all right. Yeah, he's you got Michael Massey. Who's I love still, Massey. Yeah. And he's, you know, not even 25 years old yet. Um, Just a good baseball player, kind of a grinder type player. You know, he's not going to flash 20, 25 home runs, but, you know, he might hit 10 to 15. He might steal 10 bags. He's going to get a great on defender. Yeah. And he's a great defender over there at second base. And then a catcher, you got Salvi or you got MJ Melendez. So <laughs> overall, like this Royals team, I'm worried about the rotation. The bullpen is not bad, actually, weirdly enough, where, you know, even the addition of Roland Chapman, we'll see how he does. Uh, but the outfield is certainly not something that I'm, you know, drooling over with Drew Waters, Oliveris, <laughs> and um, I mean, who's Kyle Isbell? Isbell, Isbell. like, I'm uh, Samata that's, Taylor. That's like, that's I, straight up terrible. Like, no, it's, it's but bad. Modesty. But the infield, I am excited about, no doubt about it. Like, Hunter Dozier is the only player in this infield I'm not excited about.
2: And, and, and so- he's still fine.
1: And Nikki Lopez, look,
2: he can't hit much, but he's one of the better defensive infielders you're gonna find. That's a potential bench guy for you. Like, that's really good. Um, the Salvi MJ mix is awesome offensively. We'll see how MJ progresses defensively. I know he's been working on the defense. I think Vinny's gonna be one of the best offensive players in in baseball this season. Like I really <laughs> we love him. I really think he's gonna be that good. And I, you know, I've been I've been like really hyping up vinny for years now as a prospect that just never got the love but he is even exceeding my expectations as someone who put him on the top 100 list before anybody else that's always been a big vinny fan i never thought he'd even be this good and 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 he really is impressive in terms of all like you mentioned all the underlying data it's really really intriguing and then he just watches at bats he commands him he controls him he looks like a vet up there uh this infields good like this isn't just like a good among the bad this is a good infield of course i agree with you like hunter dozier doesn't get me super pumped but he's not you know a total slouch and again you've got nicky lopez off the bench as an option as well um i i I wouldn't be surprised if they move somebody else into the equation and maybe lopez gets more at bats if if dozier continues to struggle because he isn't the best defender in the world so we'll we'll see how they use him but
1: I, i i do think this infield is good And they also have Nick Prado, too. Um, So with Vinny, because you made a claim right there, and I want to unpack it because I agree with it. Um, But you've been on this guy, and this is not something where, you know, now you're taking credit. Like, I have been hearing Vinny Pascantino come out of Arm Layton's mouth for years now. (laughs) And he's finally starting to get a ton of love, kind of a lot of mainstream love now because people go into the – you know, the, the data and they're and they think to themselves, well, this is similar to some of the best hitters in baseball. And if he puts it together, he really could do that. We're not just being, you know, hyperbolic. We're not being no. crazy here. Like what about Vinny Pascantino shines through for you? And why have you been on this guy now for so long? It's the combination
2: of frequent contact and hard hit rate right like this guy doesn't swing and miss doesn't expand the zone and hits the ball hard like it's that simple he's, he's almost like a, a baby yordan to me six four 245 pounds he he really does not whiff. i mean i'm talking 97 percent zone contact on fastballs last year
1: that would Can have been put among, that in perspective for some of our listeners who may not really know what zone contact is like yeah who is in that echelon
2: uh, Jordan, um, Mookie. Uh, I mean, it's Nick a Madrigal. <laughs> like, yeah. it's 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 going to be guys that are either super contact oriented and have zero power, or the best some of the, hitters the best hitters baseball, in the game. Right, yeah. so you don't see that. I, that's probably I don't have a leaderboard, but in terms of on fastballs. That's got to be among the best in Major League Baseball last year. I'll say that without a doubt. 91% zone contact across all pitches, like 80% is average, 79, 80% is average. So if you're a power guy, some power guys are at 75%, but they hit the ball so hard. It's fine. And that's just percentage of pitches in the zone that you're making contact with. And he does 91% is silly. And then when your 90th percentile exit velocity, which is just basically how hard you hit the baseball and how frequently you hit the baseball hard is 106 miles an hour. You have a combination of a guy that makes contact at an elite rate and hits the ball as like in terms of how hard he hits it at an elite rate. You combine those two things, you have one of the best hitters in baseball, personally, I think. And I think we're gonna see that this year.
1: And if you're if you don't know what Vinny Pascantino did last year, so Vinny Pascantino, he had two hundred and ninety-eight plate appearances last year. He hit ten home runs, he slashed two ninety-five with the batting average, three eighty-three with the on base, and a four fifty slug. As a rookie. As a rookie. This guy will rake. Fancy baseball people listen up, you know, people who buy into baseball cards, anything like that. Like this could potentially be one of the best first basemen in Major League Baseball. And we're not kidding. Like this is I want to make this clear. We are not being overzealous here. Other big vocab words. We're not doing any of that. No, no. We believe in this kid. Yeah. And we think he's going to be awesome. I can't wait to watch him. The Italian breakfast. Italian yeah, he, breakfast. If he sucks, blame us. I don't yeah, know. you can. You wear, awesome. I
2: will wear that happily. happily. I, I'll be shocked if he's sub 900 OPS next year. Wow,
1: wow, sub 900 people. Yeah, that's how that's,
2: good he could be. All right, yeah. next team. I hope Royals fans. I don't know how many of them listen to us, but I hope. I hope. I hope we made their day on that one because I. I really do stand behind that. Cincinnati Reds this is a a really fun rotation man I, i like i really am excited about the arms that they have rolling here right of course we've got hunter green the hardest thrower out there you got nick lodolo who is another guy that just is so awesome 25 years old and just got better and better and better and better as the year got went on and he looks like an ace so you got two guys that could be ace type starters next year two top 10 picks Then Graham Ashcraft is a really good three who showed well, and I think is perfect for Cincinnati. Gets a lot of ground balls. So really, really solid arm. It drops off after the top three. There's no doubt about that. Luke Weaver, who they acquired, uh, who they signed as a free agent, comes in at the four. I I actually don't think Luke Weaver is the worst pitcher in the world. And then their five might be Luis Sessa. I don't know who their five is going to be necessarily at this point. They do have Brandon Williamson. They do have Justin Dunn as a potential option as well, who I think could be solid if he's healthy. So the other options that they have give me enough hope that they can figure something out on the pitching side between Justin Dunn, Brandon Williamson, Levi Stout. They've got some other guys in the minors. I think Andrew Abbott could be up relatively quickly. I don't think it's going to be the four and five combination of, you know, what we're what we're seeing in roster resource as long as we think it's going to be. Um, But even then, I think Luke Weaver could could be okay. But the one, two, three of Green, Lodolo and Ashcraft is just just too good with this team. It's just too solid. And yeah, they've got a sneaky, decent offense compared to previous years.
1: But for me, I got to roll with with what they've got in the rotation. And people, because uh, everyone knows Nick Lodolo, or maybe not everybody knows, but you should know about Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green for the Cincinnati Reds. They kind of what I said about the Marlins, about Edward Cabrera and Jesus Zardo. They flash ace stuff like yeah. there's a difference between being a good arm and flashing ace stuff. Both of them have done, especially Hunter Green. in The second half really found his command and was just nasty. Not gambling advice. People they know about the over strikeouts. He was <laughs> nasty and Nick Ladolo, same with him too. But the one arm that I want to focus on is Graham Ashcraft because Graham mm-hmm. Ashcraft had a 489 ERA, yeah, and that's one of the most bogus 489 <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. Because if you watch him pitch, He is disgusting. He's got a cutter. He's got a sinker. He doesn't allow you to put the ball in the air, but for some reason, he allowed balls to be put in the air last year. But when you look at the repertoire moving forward, you don't think that's going to be a guy who's going to allow liftoff. Like Graham Ashcraft, I thought when I watched him, was like a three, five guy. And you look at the stats and it's completely different. I think that he is going to settle in. He had a couple of outings where he gave up, I mean, eight plus runs, like yeah. he just got blown up and just didn't have that large of a sample. So the ERA looks bloated. Like you look at the rotation and you see, yeah, they got two good guys at the top of who's this Graham Ashcroft guy. Watch out for him because he is a good pitcher with really good stuff.
2: Yeah. You know, I think he might be more of a, of a three or a four, but like, he gets he should be getting way more ground balls and i guarantee he's he was working on that in the offseason i mean this guy with with the fastball is is 97 98 it's a little flat so i'm sure he's been working on the shape a little bit and then his his like cutter is that it's that kind of gyro a manual class A type cutter. It's not as nasty, but it has that type of downward bite to it. And that's how he gets the ground balls. I think he's going to find the command of that a little bit better and get more comfortable with the fastball. But when you can reach triple digits with the fastball and have the cutter that he has, like he had some really, really good starts last year. And then he had some blow up starts. I think he's going to find that middle ground, be a high threes, low fours guy, which is you know really solid as, as your number four starter potentially in, in Cincinnati. And I think Justin Dunn, I still believe in him as a, as a four or five type. I still think he can be a solid arm. Uh, again, the rotation is not the sexiest. You could make the case for the infield, especially if Tyler Stevenson's healthy and Spencer Steer is as good as we think he can be. But I, I don't know who they're going to play at shortstop. Eli Dola Cruz is too far away. I don't like Jose Barrero. Um, I think there's a little bit. And Jonathan India took a step back last year. Joey Votto was was
1: pretty, pretty brutal and, and banged up. I think the rotation is going to be their biggest strength. I agree. I think it's either the infield or the rotation. I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think you could have made a good argument for both, especially with my love for Spencer Steer. Like if I had the National League, I probably would have just picked the infield because Spencer Steer is in it and he's my favorite player that nobody knows about. All right. uh, The Detroit Tigers. I got to be honest. The more I look at the Tigers team, the more I think this team could be with the A's, with the Nationals. Um, And you look at the rotation and without Scooble and Mize, like it is barren. And then you look at the offense, like, who's going to hit? And I find myself looking at Carrie Carpenter as the best hitter on this team. Um, but you can't say Carry Carpenter is the best hitter on this team when they do have Riley Green in the outfield. And that's why I'm going with the outfield as yeah, the biggest strength that's, for the that's Detroit the correct. Tigers. Yeah. Um, I mean, Riley Green in the outfield, he's 22. This guy will be a very good player. He's one of those prospects that I remember you ranking. And you were just singing praises about how, how high the floor is. Like, I think the Riley Green we saw last year will be the worst Riley Green yep. we ever see. 100%. He's still a very, very solid outfielder. And even if he doesn't hit next year, he's still going to be good defensively. But I do believe he's going to hit. And Austin Meadows, when healthy, is still a good hitter. Yeah. Like, yeah. if we're looking at projections, he's going to be a 750 OPS guy who hits 20 home runs if he stays healthy. He's a good right fielder and he's yeah. still 27 years old. And Akil Badu, another guy that feels like he's been in the league for a while for some reason. And but he's 24 years old. Um, and he, you know, he's projected to steal 17 bases. You know, he's gonna hit probably 10, 15 home runs, maybe at the max. Uh, it's just he plays in America, so it's so hard to hit home runs there. Moving the he's walls in. On, yeah, moved, they moved the move the walls in. So you could see that 10 to 15. I wouldn't be surprised there. And he gets on base enough to be relevant uh he's a decent defender out there he's on a hole uh this is a good outfield
2: right it's not it's not bad and matt Vierling uh, is a fourth outfielder solid i yeah. i i think matt Vierling's a solid fourth outfielder i think carrie carpenter rakes i i think carrie carpenter's yeah. gonna put up a really solid season like could be close to the 800 ops range I agree with everything you said about Riley Green. He was 21 years old on a disastrous team with no hitting philosophy across the whole organization. Yeah. The whole team couldn't hit. 21. And he was playing in Camerica. Like it, it was, it was a, a culmination of, of a nightmare for him. And also, you got to debut in like 20 degree weather and get used to hitting that as a kid from Florida. Like there's a lot of difficulties there for him. I really am excited to see what Meadows is going to do. This guy was a four and a half win player. And even more recently, you know, still was a, a two win player with, with just the bat, right? Like, it's not a great glove. So this guy could hit, could be that mid 700s, high 700s OPS guy, especially with the walls moved in. This outfield's not bad. Like, it, even a, a, across the whole league, like, it has the potential to be technically above average. If Kerry Carpenter is what I think he can be, if Riley Green is what he I think he can be. And if Austin Meadows is healthy, Vierling, again, is, is a dynamic athlete who plays phenomenal defense out there. And Badu, it was a lost season for him. This is a guy that's had one of the more unique journeys that you're going to see, right? I mean, he had played 29 games above low A, was left unprotected in the Rule 5 draft, was such a freak athlete that the Tigers said, let's give him a shot and see what happens. And they push him straight to the big leagues from low A. And he put up a 110 WRC plus in 2021. Then whatever happened last year, again, I think they had a contagious disease spreading across that entire team as as it pertains to hitting this guy can come back and still be an average or better hitter. So I, I like what they've got going on there. And I think there's a lot of upside in that outfield, which is all you can ask for, for a team that is fully entrenched in a rebuild.
1: Agreed. Chicago
2: Cubs. Chicago Cubs is, is infield for me. And it's specifically the middle infield because I think this could be the best defensive middle infield in baseball. Nico Horner was already an elite defender at shortstop. Now you move him to second. What's he going to be? Maybe the best defender at second base or or among the top three. I I'd put a lot of money on that. He also raked last year, right? And then you add Dansby Swanson. Yeah, Dansby Swanson might not put up the year that he put up last year. That's fine because he is if he's still a four win guy. I think Nico Horner is going to be a four something win guy. He just was at shortstop. That's a really solid middle infield. And again, I think Nico Horner takes that leap offensively, too. I'm not saying he's going to hit 30 home runs, but he took a big step in the right direction last year. And I think he's going to continue to do that. The only thing that was missing for him was he didn't walk at all, but he still hit 10 homers, 20 stolen bases, 11 percent K rate, hit 281. This guy can really play. You put those two guys up the middle that is one of the better potentially middle infields in baseball. If you really consider the defense uh, the way that I consider middle infield defense. Yes. You could make the case for the outfield with Ian Happ, say Suzuki. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's a pretty, pretty exciting outfield. And of course, Cody Bellinger in center, but I, I just don't really think that much of Cody Bellinger. I need to see Seiya do a little bit more and I need to see, you know, a, a little bit more from that outfield as a whole. But, you know, if, if we had to pick whole outfield or whole infield, then it's probably more of a discussion, but I had to just specifically highlight the middle infield because I think not only is it a strength for the Cubs, it's one. Of, it could be one of the better middle infields in baseball.
1: I just think it was so funny, too, because um, obviously, you know, you you watch Nico Horner and and you come away thinking he this guy's a good player, right? He's a good player. But unfortunately, we don't watch all 162 of the Cubs. Um, no, thanks. Yeah, for you know, they're a pretty entertaining product, especially with the winds blowing out of Wrigley. Those games, you you want to watch those games. Um, but even in the other games, I came away thinking, this Nico Horner guy, he, he's really good. But from our conversations in the offseason, and even I think it was maybe the tail end of the 2022 season, talking to Justin Steele, talking to Ryan Helsley, like a lot of players feel that this guy is underrated even where people are saying he's very good. Like they, they it's the same thing. This guy can do everything. He can pick it with the best of them at shortstop. And now he's moving over to second base. He hits the ball really hard. He wrecks havoc on the base paths. He's just a very well-rounded baseball player. And I'm really excited to see him develop that next year and probably become a top five, top six second baseman. Like that's what we're looking at. He's a really good player. With a hot start, he could be an all-star at this
2: at this second spot. I, I, you know, I, I really think that's possible. And again, like it, it, it could be a cop-out since I said middle infield. If we're going infield versus outfield, it, it's close. It, there's a lot of first base options they have now with Hosmer, Mancini, and we'll then just Matt say Mervis. Mervis. We'll just say and, Mervis. Uh, yeah, it we'll should just, be should well, yeah. be Mervis. Well, let's
1: pretend. But it's Matt Mervis, and we love Matt Mervis. I, I love Merv. He's a rookie.
2: I don't trust Morel. Yeah, I think he's uber talented. I just don't trust him. I would go if we're going whole outfield, whole infield, I'd go with the outfield. But again, I cannot overlook that middle infield tandem. It's just too good and too fun. Like They're going to be a human highlight reel together next year. It's going to be really tight, and especially with the limitation of the shift. Like These guys are going to be so valuable up the middle. So um, if I was taking the whole infield, I'd go with the outfield, But in this case, biggest strength has to be the middle infield, and I'm going to make an exception for the Cubs.
1: I think you could just say the infield because when your two best players are on the infield, like you're not going to come up and say, yeah, Patrick Wisdom is awesome at their base or, you know, any version of their first baseman that you get, like you probably get average first baseman play between Hosmer and Trey Mancini. That's enough to be better than that outfield. Like I almost say that you could say the infield because of the middle infield tandem. Yeah, Um, so and I think that's fair. So now I'm moving over to the American League West and the Texas Rangers, again, may be a contender this year, but they're not projected to do so by the Vegas totals. This infield, similar to the Minnesota Twins, is Loaded. Talk about a middle infield tandem. How about Corey Seager and Marcus Semyon? And we've talked about this at length, especially in previous episodes. And I know a lot of people want us to go over some shift stuff and some players that we think will benefit the most from the shift. Corey Seager is the top of that list. Corey Seager, in my opinion, and I'm going to come out and maybe I'm announcing this too early, but I'm coming out with my personal top 100 players list. Uh, It's very exciting. I'm writing it on JustBaseball.com. I'm very excited to go over it, have people argue about it. My top 100 players list is coming soon. And you're going to see Corey Seager ranked really, really high. Maybe uncomfortably high because that's how much I believe in him. I remember when Jack Arm and I, we got into a debate of who should make more money between Correa and Seager. Now, this was completely before the cray injury problems. And like, how could you ever predict that? We didn't know what was going on with a plate in his leg, but just from a playing on the field standpoint, I think Corey Seeker is as good. Of a shortstop as any in major league baseball. And then you have one of the best second basemen in major league baseball and Marcus Simeon. And you have the silver slugger winner and Nathaniel Lowe. like just those guys is elite. And what Josh young could do mm-hmm. is become one of the better third basemen. Now, he didn't have a great start to his career, and he is 25. But I want to throw that over to you because also <laughs> they have Jonah Heim there at catcher, really good defensively, showed some promise with the bat, um, kind of had some spurts there where he looked like the old Jonah Heim. But the new Jonah Heim, when he gets hot with the bat, can really swing it. Overall, this is a very good infield. But you've been a Josh Young guy. And I'm yeah, curious why. I like him. I really do. You know, I don't think
2: he's going to be a superstar, but I I just think the the swing plays, he's just makes a lot of contact. He's too aggressive and that's what really impacted him guys big league arms just kind of took advantage of that but he's got power he's got an above average field to hit and he's just a smart player that's why i think he's going to make that adjustment he's just so used to being able to barrel everything that i think he was in swing mode a lot last year and trying to make up for lost time after the shoulder he had a torn labrum at the start of the year still somehow not only made it back before the season was over after getting surgery on it raked and triple and earned himself a promotion to the big leagues to get his feet wet so I think he could be a 275, 20 to 25 home run guy next year if he, if he improves the plate discipline. And he's got 30 home run upside and, you know, in the tank there. Then you also have Mitch Garver as a backup catcher who you know I think Fangraphs hasn't projected to launch like 17 homers this year. So if that's your backup catcher, that's that's pretty darn solid, especially with the defense you get from Jonah Heim. So even if Jonah isn't hitting, Garver kind of spells that with, with his bat. And then you hit the nail on the head with the middle infield. Nathaniel Lowe turned into one of the best hitters in baseball in the second half with how hot he was down the stretch. And then Ezekiel Duran can play outfield infield play all over. They've got other prospects that are knocking on the door infield wise that I think could make an impact. But I believe in Josh Young at the very bottom being a 250, 260 hitter with 20 plus home runs. And you add that to this already super talented infielder or infield, excuse me. That's more than enough at the hot corner, especially with you know that the above average defense he can play.
1: And just to go back to Corey Seager, like he put up four and a half war in his first season with the team when he was adjusting and he should have this been better guy. and he should have been better. Like, and he I should think he have, have been be better. Prepared. He yeah. was unlucky and the shift affected him the most. I think this guy could be a six, six and a half war player, like compete with the best players in Major League Baseball. That good of a player. I'm all aboard the Corey Seager hmm. train. I think he's going to be awesome in 2023. I hope so. He's fun to watch. He's definitely fun to, fun to watch. watch. And Marcus Simeon could give you 40 home runs. This infield is loaded. Nathaniel, o, awesome. Just catch the ball at first base, please. Yeah,
2: that's all you got to do. And then <laughs> yeah. we know he can do it with the stick. Diamondbacks for me now on, on the west side, right? Your so favorite team. It's my favorite team. And it's going to be, I think, everybody's favorite outfield for a long time. I think their biggest strength, without a doubt, has to be that outfield. And even with subtracting Dalton Varshow, I mean they still look really good. In the outfield, Corbin Carroll, my number one prospect in baseball. He's 22 years old with plus power, 80 grade speed and can really like he's going to strike out a little bit. But he at the end of the day, he's got pretty close to a plus hit tool. You got Jake McCarthy, who was one of the most emergent young players last year. Phenomenal defender. Also just could put the bat on the ball, probably can hit you 15 or so home runs can run, steals a lot of bags, really dynamic player. They add Lourdes Gurriel in that deal as well. So yeah, you, you subtract Varsho, but you add a vet who can just hit, man. Like yeah, I think at the, at the bottom, he's going to give you a mid 700 to a PS. I think he can bounce back and give you a little bit more than that. They've got some depth pieces. I, I don't know if Kyle Lewis is really going to play much outfield, but uh, he is a guy that's capable of playing a corner when you need him to. But when you have the outfield of Corbin Carroll, Jake McCarthy and, and Lourdes Gurriel, uh, on top of of some of the other options that they could plug in there. I just think this is an extremely talented outfield that is only going to get better as the year goes on. So I, I'm really excited about what they have building out there uh, from top to bottom. I, I love what they've done to add, you know, somebody like Gabriel Moreno and some of the pitching that they have on the way as well. But I think there's no doubt that that outfield is the biggest strength.
1: Just baseball show listeners. I have some advice for you. Um, you end the workday. You're tired. Maybe you have a beer. Maybe you, smoke some legal substance, um, and you're just laying in your bed, go on YouTube and look up Corbin Carroll highlights. I'm telling you, yeah. Arv and I were talking about this at the uh, Just Baseball group chat. He is so twitchy. It's he crazy. moves like few I've seen. And I'm not saying he is... Going to be one of the best players in Major League Baseball, but that of course is his ceiling based on the tools. But I'm just saying, from a movement profile, he came up and was number one in sprint speed. Yeah, (laughs) number one, number one. Corbin Carroll moves like a like a schizophrenic person. Like he's just—I don't even know if that's okay to say—he is so twitchy. He is so unbelievably twitchy. I know he he
2: is all over the place. If you watch him, I have a video I'll send you after we finish recording. Like in the box, he's even like rocking back and forth, but then gets into his back hip, and he's just so quick with the bat. And what's crazy is he's five nine, one seventy. Um, that's his listed height and weight, and it's probably generous. He might be closer to five eight. So you're like, how does this guy have plus power? The bat speed and torque that he generates, he hit in some very hitter friendly environments. So like you could subtract 30 feet maybe off of this, but he hit a ball 481 feet last year. Like That was in triple A. But I mean, even in a hitter friendly environment, we're talking about a guy with 80 grade speed. I don't care if he does that in Coors Field, right? Like you're not watching some of the speediest guys, center field types, hitting the ball 480 at Coors Field. right? Ray Turner it- can't do that. Gray Turner's not hitting the ball 480 at course fielding games. We haven't seen it. Maybe he could. We haven't seen it yet. Like th- this is a guy that has crazy, crazy, crazy power too. Like I, I'd say it's plus for his size with the speed, with the defense, we talked about who's going to have the better F four, him or Nimmo. I took him. It's a risk, but I took him. So that kind of puts things in perspective. And then Jake McCarthy's floor, man, like, He's just going to steal you of 20 good bags. Opener. He's going to play good defense. And he's probably going to give you a 730 OPS or something like that. And guess what? That'll be a three and a half win player. So they've just got a really good outfield overall. And I love balancing it out with the vet, like veteran in Lourdes Gurriel. Uh, but I agree. I mean, the twitchiness, how well Corbin Carroll moves, it is pretty impressive and, and apparently make up off the charts as well.
1: So, a couple of things that, you know, from watching YouTube highlights that you can see, and it's a limited sample, of course. But you know what Corbin Carroll does that I really appreciate? Because sometimes some guys have a lot of speed, but he knows how to round backs, right? He gets good angles when he's, you know, running out of triple. Like the way he hits second base and the way he like cuts the corners. Oh, no, he's, he's, he's got it down. Such a good player. Yeah. And he's just so. Freaking magnetic just to watch like you gravitate towards him. He's he's an incredible ball player, and I'm really excited to watch him. Uh, My last team, the Oakland A's won't win many ball games, but they have an intriguing rotation. They do. And you're probably laughing. What's intriguing about Cole Irvin? Cole Irvin's not bad. Paul Blackburn, all star. Refer to him as an all star, please. Now, will he replicate that success? I don't know, but he's not bad. James Caprillion, not bad. Drew Ruczynski, not bad. Shintaro Fujinami, we don't know, but he's 6'6", and he's coming over from Japan, and I think a lot of people are excited about him. Arm and I were watching video of him. Looks nasty. Yeah. And that's not even including some of the young guns who they don't have listed on roster resource, including Ken Waldachuk, J.P. Sears, guys who they got for the Frankie Montas deal. Like... This is a pretty solid rotation, and if one of the guys goes down or somebody has a down year, they can plug and play some guys who will give them quality innings. I know Ken Waldachuk is a guy who you were really excited about yeah. coming through the prospect ranks. Like even JP Sears, like sometimes he gives you six innings, two runs, and you're How, like, "How did he do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Kyle Moore, ass. Kyle, Kyle Moore. Moore, another guy. Like I, I like Moore arms. a lot. They have arms."
2: I honestly, like if Walter Chuck is not in that rotation, I'm going to be pissed because I think Walter Chuck could be the best of all of the arms you, you mentioned. I think Mueller could be better than almost all of these arms as well. So you have those two lefties in there. If any of these guys aren't good that you just mentioned, you know, I, I think it's it's a pretty decent rotation given what this team is. I'd make the case that the bullpen could be all right. You know, you got Trevor May, you've got A.J. Puck, Danny Jimenez had a decent year. Um, but overall, it's it's just, you know, not not that great. Yeah. I like yeah. the Zach Jackson, you know, addition back when they added him. He's he's all right. But <laughs> he's u- all right. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, I think that rotation is going to be their strength, especially pitching in that ballpark. I think Moeller is going to be a really, really solid rookie next year or this year. I think Waldachuk is a middle of the rotation starter. And then you've got the vets that like they'll give you innings. And if Fujinami ends up being, you know, something close to to what the A's are hoping he can be, and he's been dominant, you know, over over on the other side of the world, like this is a guy that could be pretty solid. So I think this rotation is decent. Like, I, I don't think it's that miserable. And I don't think that they're going to be in the bottom five in baseball and ERA when it's all said and done, at least for starters. But we'll see. It depends how much they give Moore and Waldachuk an opportunity there.
1: Big cat kind of coined this term um, part of my take where I think is one of the most genius podcasts that's ever been just hilarious. If you haven't listened to part of my take, I don't know what you're doing. It's hilarious. Uh, He coined the term frisky. Maybe that's not his term, but he uses it in sports where it's the kind of teams that, you know, they're instead of decent, they're going to be kind of interesting. And I think an interestingly decent rotation that fits the frisky mold is this A's rotation kind of frisky. Kind of like the Bears with Justin Fields. Yeah, they're probably going to get the number one overall pick, but there's going to be some excitement there. Kind of like the Nationals, kind of like the A's. Frisky. I'll I'll give you that. I'll give you Frisky. Frisky. Frisky.
2: What about your team? (laughs) Last one for me. Colorado Rockies, one of my other favorite teams. They're done. They're done. That that was Bill Schmidt. GMs came out and said, we are done. We did everything that we needed to do this offseason, which meant... What was it? Adding Pierce Johnson and Jose Urania. That was it. That's all they needed to do. They're do- oh, and Connor Seabold. Of course, can't forget Connor Seabold. That's it. They're good. They're covered. But th- this is a team that, look, I, they're gonna draw top ten somehow, and they don't have a singular strength that really stands out. I would lean infield because there's more warm bodies in the outfield, like. If Charlie Blackman's playing in the outfield, that's a dead body. Randall Grichuk is is a cold body to me. Chris Bryant, hopefully he plays. I'm worried his body's breaking down on him. Jonathan Daza was like sneaky decent last year, but ultimately the First infield team. is 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 better, right? Like ultimately it's better because I love Ezekiel Tovar. I think at the very least he's going to play you phenomenal defense at shortstop, but I think he's going to rake. Rookie of the Year, Dark Horse, like we've talked about. Brendan Rogers, we're like waiting. For him to continue to to, to like, we've been continue to wait. continue to luck. wait for this breakout, right? Like we've been waiting for, it. he was still okay. Last year, really polarizing splits from, from home road, but he cut down the strikeout rate and proved the walk rate. He was a 1.7 war guy last year. So he, you know, he wasn't terrible. He's a good defender. Like those are two guys up the middle that are going to play good defense and should carry their weight with the bat, have the potential to be very solid with the bat. Ryan McMahon. It's one of the best defensive third basemen in baseball right I mean they, that's why they've kept him around for so long also they're just weird but he hit 20 home runs he was a three-win guy so that that could be one of the one of the better defensive infields in baseball and then you know they've got a pretty good masher at first base in CJ Crone like that guy just hits bombs I know it's at cores but he does what Great. you're supposed to do in cores which is hit bombs 28 home runs in 2021 29 home runs last year he drove in 102. like this guy just Hits bombs. I think mean, he took a little bit of a step back last year, 126 WRC plus in 2021, 101 in 2022. But this is a guy that just just hits. So I think this infield is actually could be an above average infield if they're middle infielders, if those youngsters
1: take that leap next year, uh, which is a big if. But I think they can do it. CJ Crohn's kind of like a slightly watered down version of uh, Reese Hoskins. Yeah, give you kind 25 of. to 30 is going to give you 100 RBIs. WRC Plus might not be there. Reese Hoskins walks more. Reese Hoskins is a better player, but it's kind of similar. You know, it's just a big slugger, first baseman guy who, you know, is fine. Pretty good. Um, yeah, the Rockies, you know, we make fun of them a lot. At this point, I'm just getting tired of it. I, that it's just so uncompetitive and it's so the same thing. And I just feel bad for Rockies fans. Because they drive attendance. Rockies fans go to the games. They're one of those fan bases that no matter what's on the field, they're going to go. And they want to watch good baseball. They pay the tickets. They pay the beer prices. And they have a gorgeous stadium. And I know it's hard to play on the moon. And that's why no pitcher wants to go there. And it's hard to develop talent. I know that. But at some point, it's like, do you move? Like, is this the excuse that we just can never get a pitcher? We can never do this. Our front office has no plan and it's just going to be a bottom feeder forever. Yeah. Like, it's like they accepting got the views from, yeah. you know, I think what did he come from UConn? Like he looks like a good pitcher, you know, he, you know, but like, we'll see what he ends Gonzaga? up being Gonzaga. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. One of those schools, but yeah, whatever, but he's a good pitcher. Right. And like we saw John Gray, they, picked very high and then like we see what's happening now they didn't even give him a qo they didn't even give him a qo
2: so they didn't even recoup a pick for him like there's just weird things like they run their franchise very bizarre it's 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 obviously a team and a franchise that's successful in the respect that they draw well and it's a good sports town which is the frustrating part like i understand it's very hard to build a team when no pitchers want to come there and when it's very difficult to pitch, but lean into the strengths, identify the hitters that will be even better there than anybody else. Right? Like there's some, I know everybody hits better at cores, but like there's examples of line drive gap to gap guys that would be phenomenal there. Jeff Conine, for example, we've talked about hit 400 there in like 130 games. Like I ID those type of guys that are undervalued everywhere else and would absolutely eat there. Like a CJ Crohn. That was a guy that nobody wanted. Right. I D more of those guys and and start to build that way, lean into your strengths, find the right pitchers that fit the mold instead of just throwing shit at the wall and seeing if it sticks, right? Like a Jose Urania. Like like I think they could do a better job at actually understanding what players and what profiles are impacted by that environment and then building according to that. Like I just don't understand how it's just like up oh, our hands are tied, we play on the moon, it's too hard. Like I, that's how it feels with them sometimes. I feel like it's almost like there's no way to build a winner around here. It's it's too hard with where, with the environment we play in,
1: and it doesn't feel that hard. We know fastball slider guys can work there. We know that the outfield is vast. Get some of the best defenders in baseball to go play outfield there. Then you load up with your infield. You don't need the best infield defense in the world. Hitters aren't even hitting the ball on the ground there. They hit the ball of the freaking moon. So just get big-time hitters, gap-to-gap power guys, like you said. Fill your rotation with fastball slider guys, and you'll win 80 games. And I don't even think it's that hard. Like, am I being too simplistic there? It doesn't seem that hard. Like, we have a bit where we just make fun of them because they deserve it, and I'm just, like, tired of it. Like, yeah. I'm just tired of the same bullshit. I mean, You're I've never really been making
2: fun of them. I, I, I like what they do. I, I, yeah, I'm i a yeah. big Bill Schmidt fan, but <laughs> I, I think it, it, that's that's the frustrating part, too, is like you, you just wonder what their plan is, because it's like, OK, you sign Chris Bryant. Cool. All right that's where you're spending your money. Like they have money they're They are spending it in spurts. Like they offer, they never trade. They never offloaded Charlie Blackman. They paid him too. Uh, You know, they're paying Randall Gritchuk more than you think. Like, they extended it, Daniel Bard. They extended a lot of money, a lot of money. So like, I don't understand what their plan is. And it feels like to me, it's just like, fuck it. <laughs> like, we'll just, we'll just pay one guy here, keep the fans coming in, whatever. Um, And it's frustrating. It is frustrating.
1: That'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Get your Just Baseball merch. I'm rocking the hat and the tee, both available on the Just Baseball merch store. Uh, The athletic long tee sweatshirts. Get those. Um, Best way to support this podcast. Get yourself some merch or don't spend a dime. We would greatly appreciate you guys getting us um, a five star review, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We just hit over a 1,000 between Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Really cool milestone for us. Uh, we started this podcast April 1st, 2021. We never thought we could get to here, and it's all because of you guys listening. Thank you again so much. We Again, we wouldn't be here without your support. We greatly appreciate it. Tons more content coming out on JustBaseball.com. And it's funny, we went through the calendar and we scheduled the rest of the offseason, all the episodes. We got top tens. We got World Baseball Classic. We got Fantasy Baseball. We got College Baseball coming. We have full previews. You're going to find it on this podcast. You're going to find it on JustBaseball.com. We cannot wait for the 2023 MLB season. We're going to break down everything before the season even starts with gambling stuff too, over under win totals, award predictions, World Series predictions, the whole nine. And with that, thank you, everybody.